I'm beginning at verse 19 also. Speaking of the prominent prophet Elijah. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. He said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father, my mother. I'll follow you. But the elder said to the younger, Go back again for what I have done to thee. And so the younger Elisha returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them, bowled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave them to the people they did eat. He arose and went after Elijah and ministered or served him. The call. The call. Amen. You may be seated when you get done. Find your place and clap your hands and shout to God with your seated. One of the benefits of being a pastor or a shepherd is the intimate knowledge of the people, which allows everyone who occupies that role a more focused moment of prayer and detailed concern. Relationships are formed that are bonds that are that are deep and long-lasting. A marriage, a baby dedication, a baptism, a prayer time, discipleship, a guidance, a sickness, a burial. The downside, however, is layered with Complexities, familiarity. Unfortunately, it happens when the voice that we hear on a regular basis becomes ordinary or commonplace. On one side is the benefit of shared and known needs. On the other side is the challenge of knowing each other's nuances and perhaps patterns. Stories retold and then told again and Processes that might become mundane until an indifference builds up like a small callus around the heart. 
In some ways, it's easier to hear something from an unknown source, some unfamiliar voice speaking the prophetic word or even some word of faith than to hear it from someone we know. But tonight I'm commissioned to speak nonetheless and we will all just have to trust God that he will do what he wants to do in us without the mire of familiarity. If for a moment maybe it's important to distinguish Elijah from Elisha, their names are close in pronunciation, but they are two different men. Yes, they are both prophets and they both perform supernatural wonders through the power of God. But Elijah is older and Elisha has just begun. Elijah has long battled the influences of his surrounding authorities, namely a wicked queen named Jezebel. He serves under the corrupt hand of King Ahab. And yet, Elijah holds the authority of the Most High in his hand. His fame, the Bible says, has spread throughout the land. He once shut up the heavens from rain and caused a drought. He called down fire upon a dry altar. Except it had been doused with water. By the time he got done, even the dust was licked up. He was once fed by ravens at a brook and then prophesied to a widow woman who miraculously was sustained by God throughout the drought that he had spoken to existence. Elijah has little time for games. He has less time for trivia. He's not just soberly minded. He's very serious. He is a driven man with an anointing unmatched in his day. And in what will be a prophetic and pivotal encounter, this powerful and elderly prophet passes by a young man named Elisha who is working hard in his field. The young man, Elisha, is obviously wealthy for he owns his own oxen, his own tools of trade, and indeed his own land. And in what could be a type and shadow of the call of Jesus to fishermen, physicians, and merchants, Elijah is going to call Elisha for a ministry for the Lord. This call is unique. It stands out in a profound way. For when the prophet calls the young men to follow him, there is no anointing oil accompanying the call. Nothing is applied to the head of Elisha like so many before him and after him. The oil, though it is important and of great consequence, it is not used here. The oil that was poured over the heads of prophets and kings alike is nowhere to be found. This time, there is no oil. There is no aroma, no sweet fragrance lingering upon his head when the prophet leaves like David and Samuel. Instead, Elijah simply takes off his coat, which we would call or he would call a mantle. And then he drapes it across the shoulders of this young entrepreneur. And in that moment, there's a transfer which entails the call. Something supernatural happens. It is pressed on Elisha. Though it is brief and it seems insignificant, it might possibly have even been symbolic in the mind of people that are looking on. But in terms of the old prophet Elijah... The draping of his mantle, his coat, is a weighty matter. He thinks 
the old prophet thinks and deems it a powerful moment. The gravity of it. The younger needs a little help realizing how important the moment really is. Elisha, the younger, like so many people who have misplaced priorities in their life, he does not recognize the gravity of that moment. Perhaps Elisha doesn't realize its worth or what just happened to him. It needs to be pointed out to him. Maybe he stumbles in thought, not fully grasping the impact of the future, but when the older prophet wraps his mantle around him, it is significant because it is the call. The young Elisha feels the cloth. He knows that something has happened to him, but maybe it hasn't settled in. Maybe he's not mature enough to get it, to grasp it, to understand it. Because Elisha speaks, and then he reveals his misguided priority. He replies to the older prophet, the old man. Let me, I pray thee. I want to go back home first. I want to hug and kiss my mom and dad goodbye, and then I'll follow you. It seems reasonable. It seems logical. It's family-oriented. Who would deny a young man saying goodbye to his parents? And yet, the aging prophet Elijah does not consent. Rather, that prophet, Elijah, is indignant with the younger. He's indignant with the request to return to the father and mother. Elijah is grieved by Elisha's response because after the mantle, after the coat is put on you, There is no turning back. It is the call. And there is nothing higher than the call. Nothing higher than the call. Jesus is calling men to follow him in the last portion of Luke chapter 9. One man says to the Lord that he will follow. Then another, then another. Jesus said to them, you must follow me. But they all had excuses I'll follow you, but I got problems. I want to follow you, but there's a lot of things in the way. And then here's verse 61. Lord, I will follow thee, but first let me go bid farewell. The people at my house. I got friends there. I want to follow you, but I've got some things I've got to take care of first. And then Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow, looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The call called There's something about it. Even the most sensical explanation, logical process has to be tossed aside for the call. And I know what people think. You're going to argue with what is appropriate, but Jesus is pressing the priority, the call. Those that are called, we are called. And after the call, the kingdom becomes greater than our convenience. And after the call, all of our personal ambitions are much smaller than they were before. Whether family or friends, the call beckons us. It pulls us. It guides our steps. It constrains our path. It rearranges our careers and ambitions and desires. It even changes the way we live, the call. And while the young man was kind in his request to the older prophet, he, 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 he wants, he wants to just visit his mother and father one more time. The older prophet is not so receptive. He says, what? Go back again after what I have just done for you? Go back 
After what you've just experienced, you're going to go back to that lifestyle. You're going to pause before the call. But no, the old prophet will not allow him to pause. There is no pause. There is no hesitation allowed between the call and the commission and going and doing. After you've experienced that mantle, after it's embraced on you, the very cloak, you can't go back. Perhaps Elijah thinks that his mantle, his coat, represents the power of God. Maybe he thinks it it represents the transfer of the prophetic position in the nation of Israel. Maybe all those things are true. We do know, however, he was emphatic. And I feel it in this house right now tonight. And I feel the Holy Spirit reaching someone in this place. And I have come to this pulpit to tell someone there is a call of God on your life. It's challenging. It's going to challenge your faith. It needs to dictate your steps. It must order your thoughts and your speech. This mantle, this coat, this call, it accepts no excuses. It wants all of your life. It wants everything. It seeks for you to be sold out, to be bought all the way in. You can not turn back once the call is given. You can't be the same person you want to, you used to be. You can't live the same way you once lived. You can't talk the same way you once talked. There are no fallbacks. Once you have the call in your life, there's, there, there, there's no, there's no place to turn. There's no other options. There's no option B. It's all about the kingdom or it's nothing. It makes a demand on your time. It commands your very thinking. It, it, it rearranges your ideas. You start to seek first the kingdom of God. You don't even care about the other things because the call is greater than anything. The call is greater than your friends, even the people you love and the people you like to be with or have coffee with or hang out with. The call is greater than your friends and you might have to give up good friends. You'll still love them, but if they don't want the call, you have to step away from them for a moment. You want to bring them with you if you can, but the call is driving you. I can't go back now. I've got a call on my life. It eclipses your family. (laughs) Your sweet family. You have to love them. You always have to love them. But the call might drive you to a place where your family cannot go. It reroutes your future pursuits. It rearranges your best laid plans. I'm preaching about the call tonight is here. And because of it, there is no turning back. And you'll never, ever, ever, ever turn back again. I want to put my coat and my cloak and my mantle on somebody. If it only is symbolic, I want to put it on somebody. If it's just briefly, and that the Lord will just use it for his glory. There is a call on your life.
I know not everybody's going to get it. You might think it's a little superstitious. You might think it's a little over the top. But there's something moving in the Holy Ghost. And I felt it when I, when I got in the bed last night. And when I woke up this morning. And when I walked into the church house today. There is a call of God on your life. And there's a mantle being laid on you. And there's a transfer of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And that... And that call is going to invoke preachers and teachers and Bible study members and Bible study teachers and prophets and missionaries and pastors. What Elisha cannot see the day that Elijah put his mantle, his coat on him. What he doesn't see is that one day he's going to part the river Jordan, 2 Kings 2.13. The day that the mantle was put on him. He does not see a purified spring at Jericho gathered from his own hand, 2 Kings 2.19. He felt the warmth of the mantle from the old prophet's only, own prophet only for a moment, but he doesn't realize that one day there'll be a multiplication of oil for a widow woman until all of her debts are paid and she redeems her two sons. He can't see it the day that the cloak, the coat, the mantle graced his shoulder. You don't know what's about to happen to you. Now I'm trying to remove myself because you're going you're gonna to stumble on familiarity. But I'm just going to do it anyway. And I'm just going to just trust that we'll believe God. I'm going to put my coat over you. But you're not going to see what's going to happen afterwards because it might take a few years. But I'm here with a prophetic word that when the transfer happens, something's going to happen in your life. It's going to change you and everybody around you. And there is a mighty anointing going to be put in your life. You're not going to feel the oil and you won't smell the fragrance. But I promise you today, the call of God is in this house. What Elisha cannot know are the many miracles given into his hand by the omnipotent God. He cannot understand or see afar off the authority that he will exercise among kings. Nor can he see the pure power of the Almighty manifested before his eyes in the days and months to come. He'll have a double portion of the blessing of the former and he'll see twice as many miracles as the one who put the coat on him. That's in the promise and the plan of God. When Jesus said, greater works than these shall ye do. We're not talking about in substance or in quality. We're talking about in sheer numbers. Greater works. All he feels is the coat, but it is nothing less than the call. And God is not in the habit of rescinding what he has chosen Romans eleven twenty nine, For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. It just means 
God does not, turn, God does not turn away from the gifts and the calling he put on your life. The mantle has been laid across the young man's shoulders. And now at that moment, he cannot act like everyone else. He will not make excuses. He will not follow his own path all because of the call. So instead of going back home or leaving any option, he, he slaughters his oxen, which were many. He takes the cart. He, he makes a big bonfire out of the cart and he cooks the meat so there's nothing left to go back to. Long before we ever supported missionaries as an organization and long before anyone ever gave money and a promise to help the missionaries, Bud and Nona Freeman went to South Africa. They had one house and and Bud Freeman said, let's sell the house. And Nona said, well, honey, if we sell the house, we're never going to have anything back here in the United States. So they sold the house and they got a few thousand dollars out of the house. And they did not have anyone to support them. But the call was beckoning to them. And they opened up a new land and they had nothing to come back to and nobody to support them. But the call was so great that Nona Freeman told me herself that if she would take a stop breath or pause to drink water during the middle of her sermon, the people would run to the altar because they were, they were seeking God. So she said, I never learned how to give an altar call. I never learned how to invite people to the front. Because when I was preaching, she said, the people were hungry. And had they gone through trouble, and they did. And had they gone through stress and trouble, and they did. And there was something back home to go back to. Maybe they would have looked behind their shoulder. But nobody having put their hand to the plow. Let me tell you about Matthew 25. Where Jesus is describing the final judgment. Hear this, everyone. You ought to pay special attention because this is the matter that will matter. Jesus will speak about his return, but right before that event, he's talking to the people about the kingdom of God. He says that the kingdom is like a man who travels into a far country, but before he leaves, he gives talents to three servants. To the first talent, he gives the man five talents. To the another servant, he gives the man two talents. To the last servant, he gives the man one talent. Five and two and one. So please let me dismantle a false notion that's been propagated by too many places about the talent. Because people often put themselves down by saying that they're just a one talent person. They're comparing themselves to the two talent people and the five talent people as if, as if talents were like being able to play and sing or dance. Let me just describe what Jesus was saying. We'll look in the Bible for the explanation. Exodus 38, 24. The total amount of the gold from the wave offering used for all the work in the sanctuary was 29 talents, 730 shekels according to the sanctuary shekel. 2 Samuel 12, 30. He took the crown from the head of the king. Its weight was a talent of gold. It was set with precious stones. It was placed on David's head. He took a great quantity of plunder from the city. A talent was not a specific item. A talent was a measurement of weight. We think the weight was about 75 pounds. But we do know that a talent was the heaviest measurement found in the Bible. 
So the servant with five talents might have been the weight of five large bundles of wool or cotton. And the servant with two talents might have been two large bundles of a brass or something. And the servant with one talent might have had 75 pounds of gold. So before we minimize ourselves by saying we have one talent, be careful. Because the one talent is a measurement and it might be worth more than the one with five. So forget about the, forget about the comparison. One, two, and five are not comparable. Because there are measurements of weight. These are weights of measurement. So the servant one might be worth more than the servant of five. And so now, the first servant used his items. Weighed in talents. He multiplied them. And the second servant, weighed in talents. He multiplied whatever the substance was. But the last servant took the weight of his sum and he buried it for fear or doubted himself for reasons we really don't know. He was giving something precious and he did nothing with it. He was giving something which should have been used, but he buried it. He was given something from the master. And Jesus concludes the parable condemning the servant who buried his talent and said, cast that unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The thing that Jesus gives you is meant to benefit the kingdom. It was always meant for the kingdom. The thing might benefit you, but it's meant for the kingdom. Talents are not musical, not in the Bible. They're weights of something God gave you. You've got a call of God on your life, and you cannot bury the call. Some people bury the call beneath the limitations of their personality, which they think is not good enough to reach people. God made you the way he made you so that you can be productive in the kingdom. I want to stand here and denounce and dismiss the lie of the enemy that tells you you don't have enough. Let me tell you, God gave you enough, more than enough. you got a weight of measurement of faith and power in your hand. Well, I can't play the guitar, and I can't play the drums, and I can't sing. Those are not talents that God measured out. He gave you weight. He gave you something that you can use for the kingdom. It's valuable. And to whom much is given, much is required. And the call is here. And the call is here. It pushes you from behind. It pulls you from the, from the front. It boxes you in, constrains you. It presses you from all side. It calls you to prayer, even when no one wants to pray. It causes you to say no while everybody else says yes. It demands your attention when so many others are conveniently clouded. No, it demands something of you. The call leads you to sacrifice things that other people will never sacrifice. And not because you want to condemn them. 
It's just that there's a call of God on your life. And you're not haughty. And you're not arrogant. And you're not puffed up. You just know God has called me to do something extra special. He's called me to the ministry. He's called me to knock on doors. He's called me to a life of prayer. He's called me to a life of worship. He's called me to be a a minister of the great gospel. To preach the word. He's called me. There's a call of God. Call provoked those fishermen to leave their common trade and the testimony of their life was not really what they had done the testimony was what they left behind empty nets beside the open sea the call beckoned Amos from the pleasant life of the field and moved him into prophecy It commanded the life of Jeremiah who gave up his very freedom to speak to the nation. It cost him so much, but he spoke about the days to come. The call lifted a man named Saul from a minimal outlook of religious zealotness to the cause and the sake of the kingdom. The call took me from a path of secularism to the path of the ministry. It led me here. It keeps leading me on. That coat, the mantle, it rested. So go ahead, if you're cynical, call it non-essential if you want. Make it less than significant if you need to. But even in its brief touch, there's a transfer of purpose. It was offered to the younger man. It's in this house tonight. It's not because I have any intrinsic goodness. I do not. It is all about the Lord. But never dismiss the symbolic and maybe real things that God has given to us For the transfer of one to another. Moses laid his hands upon Joshua. And when he did that, there was a transfer. I don't know, you have to explain it. Because even in Hebrews, the first principles in the foundation included the laying on of hands. Why the laying on of hands? He included that in baptisms and the resurrection of the dead. He said, let's leave the principles that were already founded. We're going to go on to some other things, but we're not going to, we're not going to change the first foundation, the resurrection of the dead, of baptisms, and the laying on of hands. Why the laying on of hands? Is it because you think your hand is so good? No. There is a, there is a power and a command that by the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. That's in your Bible. So before you become too cynical about a coat draping over somebody's shoulders or a hand laid on your shoulder on your head, be careful because in your Bible, God used those things that we can see to transfer and to anoint and open up the windows of heaven. (laughs) 
I'm not discriminated here tonight. I'm just being led by whoever I see the Spirit draw me to. And I, and I, I this is, this is just a jacket. It's just clothes. I'm not discriminated. Anybody can have it. Anybody can have it tonight. You just gotta want it and say, my life is built for the call. Let me just tell you, it's time that we get ready for God to come. It's time we get ready for the rapture. It's time that you get a hold of the call. And whatever you do in your life, be a powerful prophet and teacher and evangelist and Bible study teacher. gave you a weight. He gave you a substance. He gave you a talent and you've got to use it. Don't bury it. I've got a lot more notes, but I'm already done. I believe that there's going to be a transfer in this house. There's going to be an anointing in this house. And we're going to leave this place and we're going to have a call of God. And we're going to wake up tomorrow and say, yes, I can do that. And yes, I can say that. But my call won't let me go there. And my call won't let me abide there. And my call won't let me say that. And my call is prohibiting that. Surely it's not just the young people. Surely it's not just the young people. There's a call of God on your life. He's given you a weight. Yeah. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. They belong to God. What? After what just happened to you, after the Lord has baptized you with his spirit, after all these days and nights of being in the house of an apostolic powerful church, you cannot afford to turn back now. There are too many weights of talents and too many gifts and too many ability and too much insight. You've experienced too many powerful Sunday mornings and Sunday nights to let that get out of your system. There's too much Holy Ghost. There's too many spirits of, of the Lord that you've felt. There's too many songs that you have sung you have not your own the mantle has been upon you and there is a call of God on your life can you hear this preacher tonight you have no right to be casual you have no cause to be carnal there's no justification for you to be corrupt you cannot go back 
Now the Spirit has spoken to you, and I want you to lift up your hands and receive it. Just like it's a funnel. You're funneling that into your heart, and just receive it. And just say, Lord, I receive that. I hear you speaking to me, and I receive it. And tomorrow's going to be a brand new day in my life. Tomorrow, I make the journey to be a powerful soul winner. I'm going to turn my neighborhood, my school, my business upside down. I'm going to fill up rows with people. I'm going to baptize people in Jesus' name. I'm going to become a true disciple. I'm begging you, don't minimize the moment. Don't trivialize the moment. I'm asking you, don't put it, don't put it in a little box. Don't say, well, we'll forget about it tomorrow. You can never forget about the call of God. It's pressing. It's coming. You've got it. The Lord has given it to you. Come on, just say it. For the sake of the call. For the sake of the call. I got to change the way I'm living for the sake of the call. For the sake of the call, I got to reach this world before Jesus comes back. For the sake of the call, I got to rearrange my schedule so that I can teach a Bible study. For the sake of the call, I got to rearrange my life so that I can be saved and have some prayer time. For the sake of the call, I got to rearrange my days and my nights so that I can get to somebody who does not know the Lord. For the sake of the call, I got to restructure and reorder my own home so that there can be a Holy Ghost outpouring in my own home. I've got a call on my life. God's given me a talent. It's a measurement and it's worthy and it's valuable and it's weighty and I gotta use it for the kingdom and I cannot bury it any longer. I gotta get it up. It's gotta multiply. Everything I've got it's gotta multiply. Everything you've given to us it must multiply. Let there be a multiplication of this house Lord. I don't pray just for a doubling. I pray for a multiplication vacation lord let the be times three let it be times four let it be times five let the influence and the baptisms keep going lord yes Yeah. Holy, holy Lord. Holy, holy Lord. Holy, holy Lord. Pay attention to me for a second. Just pause your praying and pay attention to me for a second. I want to, I want you. I need you. I need you. Listen, listen to me for a moment. You could have been born in Slovakia 
You could have been born in Tanzania or India. You could have been born in 1750 or 1825. You could have been born at another time in history. But God put you here in this last hour and in this place. And he's given you an ability that is unique. Don't minimize the thing that God gave you. Because the city and the nation and the world is in trouble. And there is an enemy after the soul of everybody in this city, in this town, in this state, in this world. So don't climb back into your ivory palace and get back into your routine. But you go to prayer and fasting. Because I hear the sound of Mordecai saying to his niece Esther, you are brought to the city and the kingdom and this moment for such a time as this. There's a call on your life for this moment in time. For such a time as this. And now let me speak to the whole church. I'm speaking to the whole church. God has positioned us. If we'll stay obedient and in line with him, he has positioned us. If we stay humble and work, if we'll be in unity, if we'll speak the same language, And if we'll do everything through love, he has positioned this place for a mighty end time revival. And it won't be a building that's going to contain it, but it's going to spread from house to house. I want you to go home and look at your living room. I want you to imagine a church sitting in your living room. There's at least 300 or 400 churches that need to be represented in this house. It's in your living room. It's on your porch. It's on your back deck. There's a church waiting for you. It's found in your basement. If we'll stay in alignment with the Lord and be humble and obedient and exercise everything through love. And if you're rejected, just go to the next person because you're going to find someone that they're not going to reject you. They're going to say, I've been waiting for you to get here. I didn't know who you were. I've been waiting for you to get here. Listen, we're not going to build the building quick enough. The sanctuary is not going to come quick enough. But we're going to reach people. If you are new to new life, let me tell you, here's your home. Here's your place. You can go from heaven to from here to heaven. Ah, uh, ya